Warning, binge mode contains adult content. The very first episode of Black Mirror, the show we'll be discussing today, involves a hostage plot which requires the Prime Minister of Great Britain to have sexual relations with Big. So, if you watch Black Mirror and you've somehow managed to carry on with your life after watching that scene, go ahead and listen. If not, sources say is awesome. And now, binge mode. And welcome to Binge Mode. Yes. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What a good website. Phenomenal website. Highly recommend this website. Joining me today. Yeah. Now that he's finished belting Belinda Carlisle while playing Mm. Bo Bobble. Do you know what that's worth? (laughs) A couple tokens at least. Yeah. It's a Ringer staff writer. And your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason. Yeah. They say in heaven, podcasting comes first. Wow. (laughs) And that's why we are here proudly on the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. Quick reminder, every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep into the topic that is obsessing us at the moment. And in spring of 2018, we'll be dropping a howler on you to deliver Binge Mode Harry Potter. You'll be able to find both weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed, so stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode. That's binge underscore mode. The more we tweet, the better you'll be able to recreate this podcast after we're gone. It's true. Yeah. On today's Binge Mode Weekly, we will be exploring one of our favorite shows, Black Mirror, because (laughs) season four is really close. Very, very close. Netflix revealed this Wednesday in a full-length trailer for season four that the new six-episode campaign will be released on the 29th of December. We knew it was close because in recent days, new trailers were popping up everywhere. Everywhere. And it had always been teased as a 2017 release. Always. (laughs) That year quickly expiring. So we knew with a certainty of a hotshot judge that it was close. And now here we are. To help you all get ready for season four. Yeah. Today, we're going to look back at seasons one through three, and we're going to put particular emphasis on three of our absolute favorite episodes. Season one's The Entire History of You, season two's Be Right Back, and season three's San Junipero. Absolutely. Spoiler warning as always, we will be going deep on details from those three episodes and to a lesser extent, but still a real extent, the series as a whole. Yep. And we have so much to get to, so much to parse that we're not even going to take a trip down the King's Road today. We're not going to hop in that iCruiser 2 because we don't have our adapter, guys. You got to have that. We're going to get right to it. So, Mal. Yes. Do you want to spend forever somewhere where nothing matters? Would rather not. Eh, The question gets us to this episode's big idea, so let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with a pointy end. And no, not like Liam with his grain implant. Extremely painful. Like, just go to a doctor and have it taken out. Quite quite agree. Just go to urgent care and have it taken out. (laughs) You don't need to do this at home. Have to assume he has health insurance. Very nice house. Hey, the defining theme of this episode of Binge Mode Weekly is Black Mirror's portrait of love and longing in the digital dystopia. 
It's crucial to note. The entire history of you, Be Right Back, and San Junipero are not just our personal three favorite Black Mirror episodes or what are maybe not unanimously, but at least widely considered the three best Black Mirror episodes. They are also three of the best episodes of television. Absolutely. Period. Because they truly are transcendent. Now, that does not mean that the rest of Black Mirror has nothing to offer or that if you have not watched Black Mirror to this point and you're thinking about getting into it, you should just opt into these three episodes hey. and ignore the rest. You know, don't just consume the slices, right? That's it right. is still worth consuming the whole thing. The show is good. The show is good. Pig <laughs> fucking in the first episode, guys. I can't stress that enough. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's an interesting opening chapter. An interesting choice for a first note. And it's crucial to really stress that the three episodes that we cherish the most are not what we will sort of like not only call like tech as terror right. episodes. There are elements of fear in them, certainly, sure. but they are not operating from a position of fear. There's a human face. There's that personal touch. They're not necessarily about, you know, societal hypocrisy or decay like White Bear and the National Anthem right. or, you know, how our own fears or our own greed can consume and undo us like Playtest and Men Against Fire. And they're not about or at least not fully about these like sheep-like tendencies right. that undo us like the Waldo moment or nosedive or really in some ways like all of the other yes. <laughs> episodes or at least many of the other episodes. You know, they don't make us question whether we are supposed to sympathize with a pedophile, <laughs> right, which as is something that Shut Up and Dance does. Tough. They look inward, right. not outward, and that is a huge difference. We've been discussing this idea of the episodes that we don't like so much as having this passive voice construction, much right. like Shut Up and Dance and White Bear are the prime examples of this. The people doing the thing, doing the action, never appear on screen. Mm-hmm. All we see is is the people that the action is happening to, the, this kid in Shut Up and Dance who's being forced by these unseen powers to go places and fight people and do things. The woman in White Bear who's hounded across the landscape by these mysterious tormentors. We, we never really see the people until the very end who are doing these things. And that makes these episodes feel strangely manipulative. And when the reveal comes, it's like, oh, okay, I see what you've done. So the three episodes that we're going to focus on, zoom in on relationships, romantic relationships primarily, like the view in Liam's grain or Matt's Zed-Eye. The love between two principal figures is central. To Zoom it in. Zoom right in. They don't cast the individual aside on pursuit of some greater societal truth. They right. acknowledge that the greatest truth is one in our hearts and souls. I mean, that's yes. something that you can really grab onto. That's what we mean by like personal tech. Yes. They don't need twists like playtest or these weird moral fabulizings like the national anthem. So these three that we're going to talk about are about love, loss, fear, desperation, universal themes. They're about obsession and anger and the fiercest sort of longing, you know, doubt, trust. These are things that it doesn't matter what the technology around human culture is at any given time. We're always going to be thinking about things. They're about the very nature of memory and self, identity, individuality, about what can be replicated in the digital age and what's impossible to fabricate in any sphere of life. They're about what it means to be human. Really fascinating question that we'll delve into. If you can totally recreate another person, make a complete copy of that person, they're absolutely real. Is that better than making one that is partially real or not making one at all? What does that mean to be an individual if you can recreate life perfectly? We'll talk about that. So the entire history of you, 
in the entire history of you, the grain, mm. a recording device which is implanted into the neck, is de rigueur with the upwardly mobile young professional set. Or at least that's all we see. Nice houses. Yeah. <laughs> really nice houses. These people are lawyers and they have dinner parties and they're young and they look great. Love the English countryside. It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> lovely. Anyway, the device records everything a person sees and hears with absolute pinpoint clarity. Yes. And therefore you can search your experiences like recordings on a DVR. You can zoom in on moments. You can zoom in on the background of the moment and be like, wait, wait, what's happening back there in this thing? You can that zoom I saw? in live. Live. As you're creepily watching your wife from across <laughs> the room. You can stream your experiences to a screen that's right here. You can stream it right to the television. Hey, everybody, look at this thing I just saw. And the main character is Liam, a lawyer. He recently got out of a work eval, and he just can't stop replaying moments from that evaluation. In the this, cab ride. In the cab ride. Right There's a little gesture, a small smirk from the guy who's questioning him because he feels it went poorly. And at a dinner party later, he's streaming these moments. Hey, guys, what do you think of this? Is this guy being a dick to me? Like, what is this? And they're forcing him to, though. Right. That's part of what society is now. And Liam notices that his wife, Fionn, seems weirdly fond of a man that he does not know named Jonas. 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 I can hear King Robert say, That's right. Yes. Yes. What a stupid name. Liam becomes obsessed with learning the truth of their relationship no matter the cost. And because Fionn and Jonas also have grains, he can. And that ability to search out the truth in pinpoint clarity and small details absolutely consumes him. The episode has a actually very different tone and vibe than yeah. Be Right Back and San Junipero. But like those other two, it centers fully on right. how this tech, how having the option to zoom right. in and scroll through yeah. and obsess in that fashion can impact relationships for Better or worse. We don't really totally see the for better. Right. I guess Jonas <laughs> thinks it's dope that he can, uh, well, how does he put it? Looking through redos of hot times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, though, crucially, it's basically the first time Black Mirror leveled up. That's right. This is when the show made the leap and clearly illustrated for viewers what it was capable of doing. That's right. It's almost like a different show it's like to think about totally the fact that different. season one of this show is three episodes and that two of them involved a prime minister yeah. engaging in sexual congress with swine <laughs> and <laughs> the worst horror of all a vending machine that has an apple in it yeah i don't know <laughs> why come on what guys. is that where yeah. are my score bars yeah and then we get to this and it is incredible yeah. it truly is incredible and one of the things that levels up the episode, that the episode explores, is the nature of memory itself. Yeah. How do we process our memories? How important is forgetting detail mm. to the way that we live in the world and perceive our reality? This episode forces us to really confront those questions of whether we're unreliable narrators in our own lives. Right. Can we trust our recollections? What if we can trust them totally? Somehow even scarier. Right. <laughs> this is a popular topic to explore in culture. You know, shouts to my affair heads. Julia Lemon, looking at you. And you, my friend. <laughs> I do love the affair. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Why does the Pensieve play such a prominent role in Harry Potter? Why did Inception compel us? Why do we still break into sweats when we're thinking about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind? What's an idea and what's a memory? Can you carry the weight of your own life 
And what would it do to you if you could absolutely replay every small foible, every social interaction that went astray incessantly? Right. That would fucking ruin me. It would ruin almost all of us because it's not just forcing you to say, can I trust other people? It's forcing you to say, can I trust myself? And that is like the scariest idea in the world. And it's interesting that Liam is our vehicle for reconciling with some of these questions because, importantly, yeah. Liam is an asshole. He's a true asshole. Liam is a true prick. You know, when we watch San Junipero, it's not really a question for us. Like, we want Kelly and Yorkie right. to be happy because they seem to fully deserve yeah. that happiness. You know, in Be Right Back, we want Martha to find peace, to find love because yeah. when we watch her story, our heart breaks for her. Incredible performance by Haley Atwell. Truly incredible. Yeah. Also, I ride for Dom Gleason just like literally all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of riding Dom Gleason in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great stuff. But <laughs> Liam is, he's a prick and he's a bully. Yeah, he's he's violent. And yet this is the contradiction that the best Black Mirror episodes force us to consider. Yeah. We're on his side, firmly on his side, because anyone who's watching his journey and his discovery yep. and this process can relate yes. to his jealous rage. 100%. Because, listen, jealousy is ugly. Jealousy is base. Jealousy is also deeply human yep. and universal. You know, we're not just looking at Fee and Jonas through Liam's grain. Disturbingly, we are, we're looking through our own eyes at what could be our own lives. Right. So as people in the world right now, you know, we're, we're already like grappling with this idea of, am I living in the moment? Right. Like, am I actively participating in my own life? Or am I caught up in the past? Am I too caught up in the, the thing on my screen right. at a given moment? Like, you know, think about how often? I mean, not a great thought experiment for us. We're not really go look at the sunset people. <laughs> We're more like stay in our work cave until we pass out people. But for those of you who look at sunset. Tell us about it, please. <laughs> Email us at DMS at binge underscore mode binge. and tell us about the sunset. It's binge underscore, underscore mode. Think about how often you are consuming this beautiful, yeah. natural bit of majesty through a piece of glass in front of your face instead of just fucking looking at it, right? And like this episode, the series, but really this episode, it's that idea taken to the extreme. It's that daily dilemma to its fullest and, you know, most disturbing extent. Like think about the fact that these people have screens all around them. They have these beautiful glass panes all over their homes and every room. It's in the back of the taxi cab just waiting for you. But they don't watch TV. Yeah. They watch their own lives. That's crazy. But that doesn't actually feel too far away from where we are. It does not at all. And the question then becomes like, do you really want to know everything? Forgetting is kind of important, actually. Liam tells Fee that, uh, you know, when you suspect something, it's always better when it turns out to be true. But actually, is it? That is a haunting moment. Like, is it worth blowing up your entire life to find out a thing that happened four or five years ago. That is not a cut and dried yes or no answer. You know, betrayal is a thing that is deeply felt in relationships. There is no right or wrong answer to that. At the same time, when Liam fully devolves into this 
manic being of pure jealous rage, there's no question that he's gone too far. When does the quest for satisfaction completely unravel you as a person? When does the need to know and the need to be absolutely right about a thing? Right. I'm right. The need to win so toxic that it forever corrupts your life. And do you want to live in a world where actually full clarity for the path to proof is, is possible? Wouldn't that drive you mad, just as it does Liam? You know, the question is like, what did knowing actually give him? Yeah, that's the thing. Because that's the haunting thing. The line, that line that you quoted, right. you know, you know when you suspect something, it's always better when it turns out to be true. He did actually really believe that he needed to know because like it wasn't actually four or five years ago he's genuinely afraid in that moment that he might not be the father of his own child imagine how that would tear you apart how that would cripple you that is harrowing you couldn't actually exist in your own life after that thought entered your brain it would be a disease in your own mind but what did clarity bring him like he lost his family anyway you know he lost his trust, this tech, it provided him the enlightenment that he was seeking, but it was gas on the fire. It it fueled his desperation. It fueled his obsession. It brought his base instincts totally to the fore in a way that ripped apart his entire existence. So he feels, on the one hand, vindicated because he was right. That is true. He had a suspicion and his super creepy research bore out that his suspicion was correct. But He's so broken by that knowledge and by what it means and by how it forces him to reassess. Again, this is a person who was able to look back at everything that was happening to him and still didn't know that his own life was a lie. So where does that leave him? He opts out. He makes the decision not to participate in this aspect of society in what is, in essence, at this point, the norm. You know, when he's trying to force this confession out of Fee and he's, turn, again, turning violent yeah. and he's shouting at her, this isn't me. You know, look at what you're doing to me, Fee. I need to see it, please. Yeah. It's a need for him. But it's important to note that she is not the one doing it to right. him. It's their reality. It's what is actually on offer. It's what is actually possible. It's the tech that allows him to pursue this kind of warped, manic pursuit. So the fact that he decides to cut into his own head. I think you shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's not not advisable. <laughs> Hope he had some like antiseptic. Yeah, he did not. To rip this thing out of his Ugh. brain. Again, haunting. Yeah. A beautiful testament to the way this episode was structured. There's that scene, that earlier dinner party, right, where Hallam reveals that yeah. she's just like kicking it, living her best grain-free life. She was a victim of a crime, actually. Yeah. And she's like, I don't this wanna, is yeah, better. I don't want to remember it. I don't want that. Let's talk about Be Right Back. Man, <laughs> this episode, wow. So Martha, an mm-hmm. illustrator, and her partner, Ash, just moved into a charming house in the English countryside, as you love Lovely the English home. countryside. And Ash is always on his phone. And his preoccupation with social media is a constant source of irritation for Martha. He's never quite there. He's never present. They celebrate their first night in their new home by making love. And a day after moving in, Ash is killed in a car accident. Martha is, of course, grief-stricken. And then she discovers that she's pregnant. She learns of a service that uses a deceased person's internet footprint, social media postings, videos, so on, to create an AI that mimics their personality. Think Alexa or Google Home or Siri, but with the voice of the person you lost and something of their personality. And she uses it and spends hours talking to AI Ash on the phone. And it seems to help. 
Then one night, AI Ash upsells her, pitches her on the premium level of the service. Hey, you, you're using freemium. Let's go to premium. <laughs> using photos, the service creates an Android Ash, perfectly lifelike, best version of Ash. And it runs the Ash AI. It's like him, but not enough. And Martha eventually has to face the fact that while it looks like him, talks like him, kind of speaks like him, it's not really him. Fucks like him. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, to, we'll that. get to that. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> pregnancy might be like one of the only pregnancies in yes. TV history where I didn't groan yeah. and think, oh my God, here we go again. Like this right. crutch. Just- it was such a flawless way to force all of the dilemmas, not only of that moment, but of the rest of Martha's life yes. into concentrated form. Thematically perfect. You just lost this person. Right. This person you love and thought you were going to create a life with. Well, you literally created life with him. Right. That could be enough. In some ways, biologically at least, Certainly. that is what this is all about. For the propagation of the species, that is what it is about. There's a choice you can make as a rational person That's there. Right. That, okay, I have Ash with me now right. forever. But, of course, we're not rational people, no. are we? That's not what life, and it's certainly not what love, is about. And this episode, it is in many ways the most beautiful and the most haunting yeah. <laughs> Black Mirror episode. The three episodes that we're talking about today, they all examine something about life that we are either desperately afraid to lose or Desperately trying to recapture, and those ideas are obviously tied up in each other. And be right back. It doesn't frame those questions as a future consideration, as a virtual afterlife that you may or may not want to opt into. It's right now. Yes. It's your life, the here and now, today. And it asks us to consider whether we would bring back a person we loved who was ripped away from us. A timeless question. It asks whether... A facsimile of a person can ever be good enough, ever. And I think even more hauntingly than that, it forces us to consider if the answer to that question is no, it can never be good enough, would it matter? Would we ever have the strength to cast that version of our loved one aside? We've talked a lot about this episode before this pod. And the one thing that I come back to, this is the one episode of Black Mirror where I'm like, this will happen. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment early in the episode when Ash is still alive, where Martha is trying to tear Ash's attention away from his phone. And she says, it's a thief, that thing. And this is something that you mentioned in a conversation we had that I've been thinking about for days. The dissonance in that line forces us to consider this interesting duality, his phone is the thing that took him from her in the present moment. He was always on it. Right. Never with her. Never noticing the things she was doing. She comes back to the van and he's just on it, scrolling. And she tries to give him the tray of the drinks. And he's just like, what? (laughs) But it is that thing that allows her to have him or something like him after he's gone. It is that thief that gives Ash back to her. And that is an incredible part of this story. Just like really, truly amazing. It's hard not to harp on it. Yeah. It's brilliant. Because it's an idea that you can extend to any facet of life. Right. You know, you don't understand really 
the implications or ramifications of the choices you make. You can't. Right. That's not how decision-making and life work. And it does force you to sort of assess your own biases right. and assess your own convictions because you might be presented with a moment <laughs> that forces you to drastically shift everything you thought was true. And what actually does come back to her? What did the thief give back? Right. To Martha, you know, AI Ash is, he's a computer. Yeah. So when she says something and she's like curious about this, this is Lover's Leap. Right. He can look something up. He can run a search right. right away. You know, he obeys, basically. Yeah, totally, totally obedient. The real Ash wouldn't have done either of those right. things. One, because he wasn't capable of being a That's computer. Right. And two, because he had free will. That's right. He had agency. That's he right. was a human being with desires That's and right. whims. Crucially, <laughs> another difference is that AI Ash is great at sex. Guy's like a jackhammer. <laughs> you know, he... Just incessant. AI Ash, he parrots real Ash's catchphrases. Right. And he learns and he adapts just like a person growing and evolving would kind of sort of but he is not ash right. and the sex yeah. it actually is a master stroke Ooh. much like every <laughs> thrust from ash <laughs> lots of thrusts how many thrusts do you want i mean he's got infinite thrust this guy to exploring this idea you know real ash he was so feeble at sex <laughs> earlier in the episode although i you know he did get it done no he didn't i'm just saying she did get pregnant, so something occurred. Sure, just not her satisfaction. Right. Not that part of it. <laughs> Very tough. And the fact that this robust, energetic, sexual escapade that right. she has with A.I. Ash is, in the moment, obviously quite thrilling yeah. for her and quite a contrast, but ultimately it's one of the triggers. It's one of the right. things that leads her to rebel against A.I. Ash this because it's right. like, this isn't right. This right. isn't real. This isn't normal. This isn't him. You know, AI Ash is he's better at a lot of things, but we don't well, the actually one th the one thing. A lot of things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He he has this beautiful, like the poreless right, skin that's a, and he's flawless because of the pictures that people right. choose are often the most flattering. We don't want perfection, actually. Right. That's a fallacy. We want humanity and flaws are part of humanity. You know, a, a computer is not a person. A person right. is not a computer. People are flawed. And that all leads to the episode's most gut-wrenching moment. Right. First of all, let's turn the virility down to like eight or seven on AI Ash. I don't know. You want to keep it? Keep it at ten. Keep it at ten, I think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the pain slider in San Junipero, and there's right. the orgasm generator slider for AI Ash, and that thing is fully at ten. Oh, my God. So the most gut-wrenching moment when Martha is alienated by the lack of breathing noises that AI Ash makes. And think about how... I think that sounds great, by the way. <laughs> There's nothing I hate more than a snorer or a loud okay, but, breather. But it's some kind of breathing that lets you know that you're laying next to a person who is alive? I think I would be happy with this AI is, Ash, is I guess what I'm this saying. This is incredible. Just he sounds a, like a model partner. Just a non-breathing fuck stick that won't quit. Offered to get her a <laughs> snack at one point? Can I get you a snack? <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> but real Ash would not do the things that Martha asks him to do. Leave right. the, get out of here. You're not him. Get out. And he's like, okay. Right. Great. See you later. Real Ash would not have done that. And when he tries to calm her, don't cry, darling, Martha flips. She's like, you know, get out, get out, go on. And 
AI Ash is perplexed by these mixed messages. You're on the one hand, you're telling me to go, but it seems like you don't want me to go. Like, which is it? And and here it is. The killer Martha says, "Just get out, get out, get out. You're not enough of him. You're nothing. You're nothing." Shredding. Yeah, absolutely shredding. You're not enough of him. Right. Think about what she is saying. Think about what that means. You know, she has in some ways this idealized version of her partner, right. of the person that she loved, but. It's not the person that she loved. And so, you know, she kicks him out of the house. She, at one point, tries to make him, in essence, kill himself, jump off of the famous lover's leap that Martha and Real Ash had learned about and talked about together in real life. Asks him to be scared of this. And then he is. Yeah. Or he fakes it well enough to trigger a response, a human response. He's faking everything, though, isn't he? Of course. But when the thing he's faking recalls something that would have broken through to her in that way in real life, she loses her nerve in essence. And who can blame her, right? right? She doesn't have the strength to stare at the robot who is built to recreate and mimic the person she loved and say – Jump off the cliff. I don't want you here anymore. And the reveal is just as much through Martha's eyes as through the eyes of their child. You know, we we come to see later where she's keeping him in the attic. And we're going to talk about what that symbolizes more in a moment. But we don't see in that instant the choice she made. That's right. We find out later. And that is a very effective way of conveying actually – what she must have been agonizing yes. over and the decisions and the factors that she might have been weighing. This isn't her ash, but it's an ash. It, right. And that's better than nothing. There's an interesting insight here too, which is that the things that we put into the world on social media, et cetera, are much like the photos used to mold Ash, kind of the best side of us. We filter our own behavior when we put stuff on social media. You know, Ash was not going to tweet, man, I really laid an egg in bed last night. Tough one. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So even in the the tech age, when we're tapped in and we're putting so much of us out into the world, there's still a part of us that only a few chosen people get to see. And that's really what makes personal relationships special. What makes you feel special when you're with another person is you're sharing something that no one else gets to see of them. And that's reassuring still that those things matter. Those things absolutely matter. Yeah. That is one of the actual like hopeful ideas in the episode that, you know, so much of it is about – debilitating choice and indecision and compromise. And that idea is really reassuring on like a fundamental level that there are still these relationships in your life that you can experience in a way that other people can't. There's someone looking at your best friend or partner's Twitter feed doesn't actually understand and doesn't know. And so we understand why she made the choice that she made. And what is that choice? Where does Ash go? He goes into the attic. Where? Real Ash had told Martha and thus us previously in the episode that that was where his mother had put basically all the things that she couldn't deal with anymore in life, but also couldn't bring herself to throw away. Jack dies. Photos. Where are they? They're not on the wall anymore. They're not on the mantle. They're up in the attic. When Ash's father dies, where does all of his stuff go? Up in the attic, Right. right? It's this very like physical manifestation of that tension inside your own heart and mind, I can't be confronted with this every day. Right. But I can't bear to put it away from me. Can't say goodbye. And so she sends Ash to live in the attic that is, it's in essence a morgue. It's a tomb to their own history. You know, she never moves on with her life. And weirdly, he never ages. 
Bruce Bolton voice, forever young. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of this episode, she is not remarried. Her daughter is older, Uh perhaps six or seven. And she lets her daughter go up and visit A.I. Ash, bring him a piece of cake that he's not really going to eat. The countryside setting reflects this isolation that she's chosen. At the beginning of the episode, it was the pinnacle. We're creating this new life. It's almost like a garden. We're starting. This is the seed. And now it's it really is like an island. They're away from everything. And it is haunting. San Junipero. The beachside town of San Junipero is an idyllic and sun-drenched slice of heaven, Mal. Oh. Populated by young people in the summer of their lives. The year, 1987. Mm-hmm. Yorkie, a demure and bespectacled young lady, is new in town. She meets Kelly, an outgoing and longtime denizen of San Junipero, and they hook up. We discover that the town is actually a fully immersive simulation, and the seemingly vital young population is in reality made up of the aged, the infirm, and the terminally ill. And because the technology to upload an entire human consciousness into the simulation exists, some of these people are even deceased. In the real world, Yorkie is an elderly quadriplegic. Kelly is an otherwise healthy senior citizen, and they marry so that Yorkie can be euthanized and uploaded to San Junipero. But when she's faced with the question of, should I join Yorkie, Kelly is unsure. Her husband and daughter died without being uploaded. If Kelly spends her afterlife in the sim, is she betraying her family? Will they not see her in heaven? Does heaven exist? And if so, what would going there with someone you love be worth? This is an ebullient, elegiac masterpiece of an hour of television. Incredible. It's truly tremendous. And I, I would like to just quickly shred <laughs> the monsters who don't like it because what happened? Who are these season? people? They're, they're out there. Sure. They're at the quagmire. There are these people. <laughs> like, so what happened was this is season three, went up on Netflix, yeah. and very quickly, San Junipero emerged as the, the crown jewel, the thing Absolutely. that everyone was talking about, the one that was like, you know, the, this is the, if you're going to watch one, you know. San Junipero finds hope, happiness, yada, yada. All the headlines were about San Junipero. And so there was quickly a backlash yeah. to that hype and the joyful discussion around this episode. And what was very frustrating about that was the dismissive notion right. that, first of all, this is a quote-unquote happy episode. Like, you only <laughs> like this because right. it's happy. It's not really happy. It's yes. not a happy not episode. It. Like, first of all, if it were totally blissful, like, yeah. is that a bad thing? Right. Are we all <laughs> in our lives where that's a bad <laughs> thing? But I think it is a failure to account for and appreciate how complex the story is, yeah, is. and how complicated the ideas that it's exploring and grappling with really are. You know, I would say it is a hopeful episode. Sure. And hope is not an easy thing. Right. Hope is downright impossible on some days in our lives. And the thing is, San Junipero, the episode and the virtual realm, yeah. it's an attempt at least at a recreation of life. And life is not happy. Life is not easy. It's messy. It's complicated. You have to face dilemmas and make choices and leave people behind. How can we box that all together, call it happy, and move on? Yeah. What is life when there's essentially no stakes? You're 28 years old or something at the peak of your life forever. What's the worst that can happen in there? The worst is basically... You get rejected by someone that you're trying to hook up with. That's it. You're not going to die. 
Nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're not going to get evicted. You're not going to lose your job. But like, what is that like? Is that heaven or is that something else? I think those things that you're saying there, like the idea of being rejected by a person is ultimately way more consequential than losing your job in the real life. And like that, I don't say that to diminish the actual weight of being unemployed. Like that is a very real thing. If you rejected our friendship, I would just quit. And I would walk the earth. Look, the fact that there is a dude in this episode whose role is to play video games and look longingly at Yorkie. (laughs) And he is basically a reminder that in this like nominal paradise, sometimes you still can't get a date. Tough. That's actually like a really painful thing to consider. You opted in to forever and maybe you're doing it alone. He's the character who issues the line. It's got different endings depending on whether you're in one or two players. Haunting idea. Yeah. That's not a simple, easy thing to consider. That is massive. If you're alone in your life, is it a life? Right. Like the fact that this episode asks us to consider that is a big deal. And Kelly has to deal with the question of is being somewhere forever worth it if you can't share it with the people you love, with her husband and daughter, Richard and Allison. There's another level to that question, which White Christmas kind of touches on, which is, what is this uploading consciousness technology? Does your mind actually leave your body, go into the simulation, and that's it? Or, more plausibly, is it just like a copy of you? Your consciousness is copied. You're still in your body, much like in White Christmas, where the little home AIs are complete copies of a person. So when you die, don't you really die? And what does that mean? Is Do you have a soul? Does that matter? What does it mean to be in a world where a person can be perfectly recreated? What does that mean for a person in terms of them feeling like a special individual in the world? And that's like, those are really interesting questions. The fact that Kelly has to make that choice yeah is huge. And one of the things that Yorkie uses to convince her is like, well, you can just pull yourself out if you don't like it. Right. So that is also like a compounding variable when you're considering like what reality is. Right. What are you actually opting into here right. and who are you able to share it with? You know, if you lose a person in real life, in theory, you move on. Right. But it's the simultaneously the same and very different from a promise maybe you made to someone right. that you are then not keeping, let's say, everybody has different views and beliefs and, and feelings about the afterlife. Right. If this is a copy, and as you laid out, the canon leads us to believe it is a copy, and Kelly's actual being right. goes on to an afterlife, if such a thing exists, right. and is with Richard and Allison, right. she will know that she made this choice right. to send her copy to be with another person, to be in another relationship forever. Yeah. For ever. You know, what if this technology is around in real life and a person loses a spouse and that spouse can opt in actually because the tech is around already. And then that person in the course of real life moves on and finds another relationship. Who are you spending forever with in that scenario if you're all there? Like, again, that's just the idea that that is just quote unquote happy and nothing else sort of willfully ignores the fact that this realm presents the same complications as life. A lot more complications. They are magnified and you're forced to consider them in a totally optimized and concentrated way. I think the other thing that's interesting is this idea of like, if they are copies, how come we think about Ash as 
not enough. Right. But we think about Kelly and Yorkie in Sandra Napero as like themselves, right. as fully realized, fully actualized copies of who they were in real life. Do they think of them that way? Right. And also that's where you're kind of forced to consider maybe the differences between the full-timers and the tourists, right. you know? You might be there with people you actually know. That's right. What are they like? Yeah. Are they the same? If you have a pain slider that you can move down to zero, that's not real. That's not real. That's not 100%. what life is. If you can dangle your feet over the roof of a building without fear of consequence, that's not real. But it also doesn't mean that the pain you're feeling from loss or rejection right. isn't just as crippling as it would be in real life. Why is it raining there? Right. I can't stop thinking about why is it raining there. You it's have the a very ability, strange choice. You have the ability to create perfection. Right. Why is it raining? Because people want to feel grounded in some semblance right. of normalcy. And normalcy can be really bad sometimes and yeah. really painful. There's that moment where Kelly is talking to Yorkie about her husband and her daughter. And she says, you know, when he was dying, Rich said to me when they offered him this, to pass over, pass through, spend attorney in this fucking graveyard you're so in love with. He said, how can I, when she, their daughter Allison, missed out? How can I? And so he went. And I wish I could believe he's with her now that they're together, but I don't. I believe they're nowhere, just like you said. Gone. No, I pitied you, and that's the truth. I pitied you, and now you give me some sales pitch about how fucking peachy forever could be? And Yorkie says, I'm sorry. Kelly says, you want to spend forever somewhere nothing matters. End up like Wes. All those lost fucks at the quagmire trying anything to feel something. Go ahead, but I'm out. I'm gone. The thing about that exchange that is, well, there are a lot of things about it that yeah. are very poignant and painful. Yeah. One of them is that you have to remember as you're watching that and considering it from both of their perspectives that they led completely different That's lives. That's so important. Completely different lives. And Yorkie can finally, for the first time ever, be herself. How did she get paralyzed in real life? She came out to her family. We learned this when Kelly is chatting with Greg at the hospital. And they did not accept her. Right. They did not accept who she was and how she was choosing to live her life. And she left and she got in a car accident. Of course, the top speed game in the arcade at the beginning of the episode right. is a trigger. Again, another reminder that if you're in paradise and you're being confronted with the worst moment of your life. It's not just cheerful all yeah. the time. So now she has this second chance. She's not just living life again. She's living it for the first time in a lot of ways. And so they are coming right. at it from totally different perspectives. And that's important to keep in mind. Not everybody who's opting into this experience is the same. That's right. also true in life. Different things inform the way people think about their circumstances and their realities. Why doesn't she want to dance that first time? Right. Because it's a completely foreign experience yeah. to her. And in the end How credits, do you move your body? Right. In she the end credits, she is so free. Yeah. She is moving with such grace and ease because she is finally able to be herself, to be who she wants to be and to find acceptance around her. That's incredible. Yeah. As you just said, it's a much more nuanced take than I think the obvious, oh, this is this is happy. This is hopeful. They live right. forever in this beautiful sunshine land. Think about just like a, a moment that seems so simple and so like maybe devoid of consequence. Their first meeting. Yeah. When Kelly and Yorkie are getting to know each other, right. they're introduced to each other, and 
talking about the glasses. Yeah. You know, and Kelly is looking at Yorkie and she's like, what are you doing? And what does Kelly say? Yeah. I'm regarding you. Regarding you. The word choice there it's is great. so deliberate. Right. Because you look at people all the time. Sure. I'm looking at you, looking at Milton. Right. Looking at the door, waiting for someone to come <laughs> in and yell at us for running over time. Right. Regarding someone. Right. That indicates a level of consciousness. Right. A deeper level of consideration. I am choosing. That's right. To spend time thinking about who you are and why you are behaving in this way. And the way that she talks about the glasses, because does Yorkie need them? No. No. Of course. Of course not. Her eyesight is perfect, just like in theory everything else could be. And yet she has them on familiar. And Kelly describes them as authentically you. And that idea of trying to chase authenticity in a sphere where – the inauthentic is available right. to you at any it's moment literally in any a simulation. way. How hard must it be to, yeah. ch- to make that choice? But you do it because there's comfort there. There's comfort in routine and there's comfort in familiarity. How long does something like that last? The pain slider mm. question. What yeah. would you do with your pain slider, Mal? Well, it depends on what you're chasing. That's right. You know, are you looking to in some way simulate and manufacture reality right. because pain is a part of life. It's what we were talking about earlier, the joy right. and sadness idea. There's you, no context for anything else without right. pain. And over this span of time, right. you need that to keep you grounded. You need That's that right. to keep you human. If you're just there for thrills. That's right. And again, this is where the difference between tourists and full-timers right. comes in. You know, the tourists, why, why would anyone be at the quagmire? How many people at the quagmire are tourists and how many of those people are full-timers? We right. don't know. That's right. Got to assume a lot of them are tourists who want the basically consequence-free. Totally consequence-free. Thrill. Maybe some of those people, though, are there forever and are choosing to go there because they want to feel something that just the course of their daily life isn't providing them anymore. Yeah, one of the ways that San Junipero is structured is if you're a tourist, you can only spend a certain amount of time in the simulation or else you just become untethered from reality. That becomes your reality and you can't come back to the real world in the same way. We should talk about the song. Yes. Belinda Carlisle. Absolutely perfect. Belinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth. You could not find a more perfect song choice. Now, the counter to that is, is two on the nose. But I got to say, there's a thing that happens that hopefully has happened in every person's life where something occurs in your life and a song that you've heard a million times Mm -hmm. before, a pop song, walks right into that moment. And all of a sudden, the meaning of it unlocks in a way that is just incredible. And the great thing about pairing this song with this story is Brooker really manufactured that moment. Right. The meaning of heaven being actually a place on earth. Literally. Literally a series of hard drives on earth is incredible. The end credits of this episode are Uh, truly a masterwork on their own. You know, we go from this fight, this fallout that they have, this bitter disagreement where they are, again, informed by their completely separate and unique perspectives, just not having the same conversation. And Yorkie is begging Kelly to stay, is saying arguably the most insulting thing she could say to her, which is, Richard, he left you. Right. He made a choice not right. to be with you. You can make a different choice. And Kelly says, did you ever even think to ask right. about my life and right. what those people mean to me? And we think, basically, well, we don't know. What choice will she make? Right. Is it over right. for them? And we're back with 
Kelly, because again, one of the amazing things about the episode and the way it's structured is that we see them in reality as well. We see them as old women. Kelly is on the verge of death, cancer. And we see Yorkie in the hospital. We understand what their real lives were like, not just because they've told us, but because we've gotten to witness it. And so after this argument in San Junipero, we cut back to reality and Kelly, who is worsening, her health is failing, says to her nurse, all things considered, I guess I'm ready. Right. And the nurse says, for what? And Kelly says, for the rest of it. Like, what does that mean? It could mean anything you wanted it to. And that is an incredible idea. You know, people who have faith in an afterlife, I really envy them. Getting emotional. (laughs) There we go. Like clockwork. Because not everybody has that kind of certainty. That's a real gift. You know, none of us know. But the ability to convince yourself in something. Imagine a world where you could do that. Where Tucker... Where this corporation, these people who had lines of code and a server hall as big as the wall could promise you that, could guarantee you that. And we go from not knowing what that means and not knowing what choice she made to the music. You know, we see the plane flies through Through the the sky and see Yorkie, great outfit, nice jeans, yeah, prime 80s fashion there. Walking through the sand toward her Miata, and with a click of the car door opening and closing, the sound of the key turning the ignition pops the the tape in. Pop of the tape, and then that song blasts through our speakers, and the cuts between the credits and those moments of clarity. She goes to the beach house, and guess who's there? Kelly, because that was the choice she made. That's the rest of it. That's what she decided the rest of it was going to be for her, and that's incredible. And the last point. Just the theme of this being happy. When it smash cuts to the euthanasia drugs going through Mm -hmm. the tube, that's when the complexity of this story really comes to the fore. Just how brilliant it really is. Do you know what that's worth? Do you know what that's worth? Jason. Yeah. It's not real, is it? Well, I don't know. You know, binge mode's first wake, I sat there thinking, it's not real. That's right. People didn't look real. Voices weren't real. It's like we were out on a spacewalk and no one could- I can sign us up to something that helps. <laughs> your trips to the Citadel to assemble the yes. Conclave. I hope that your green or your Z-Eyes or your mass or whatever you're using these days is still fully functional because it is time to do a redo. Enlighten us further about how close we actually are to seeing some of the tech from these Black Mirror episodes in real life. How close... Are we to seeing this stuff? It would probably be no surprise to you that the tech we see in Be Right Back is probably the closest to being realized right now. Uh, In The Verge recently, there was a story about Roman Mazarenko, a man who died and then was had his social media mined by a friend, an entrepreneur, and a programmer named Eugenia Kudya, who much like Be Right Back and in fact inspired by that episode, took his social media, his texts, and then created a chatbot that approximated his personality. I'll quote from the article here. The Roman bot was received positively by most of the people who wrote to Kudya. Though there were exceptions, four friends told Kudya separately that they were disturbed by the project and refused to interact with it. Vasily Esmanov, who worked with Mazarenko at the Russian street-style magazine Look At Me, and said Kudya had failed to learn the lesson of the Black Mirror episode. 
this is all very bad, as went off wrote <laughs> in a Facebook comment. Unfortunately, you rushed and everything came out half-baked. The execution, it's some kind of joke. Roman needs a memorial, but not this kind. Kind of disturbing. And then for San Perro, Alyssa Bereznak wrote for a great website called TheRinger.com in an article called, When Will These Black Mirror Technologies Actually Exist? About the quest to upload a human consciousness into an external storage. Quote, to get some San Junipero level stuff, we have some work to do. First, experts need to build an artificial brain, research that's currently being funded by the Brain Initiative, Blue Brain Project, and the Human Brain Project. Though these initiatives have helped with things like mapping brain connectivity, Lebedev, who is a scientist who's quoted in the piece, argues that they lack a clear plan for delivering an artificial brain anytime soon. Instead, he predicts researchers will likely copy the brain of a much more simple organism, maybe a snail, mm. within the next 10 years. Kind of far away, Mal. I don't know. That sounds close to me, honestly. <laughs> 10 years? <laughs> yeah. a, for a snail, though. Well... How different are we from snails, really? <laughs> so, it, you know? Yeah, I've known some people that I prefer snails to. That's, that's for sure. One of the things that I'm most excited to track in season four is how not only the tech is advancing mm-hmm. just compared to what our imaginations can grasp, but compared to the canon. Yeah. And we've been having fun talking about the Easter eggs and the episodes that refer to each other and whether this is all one universe and what hints there might be that the tech we're seeing is actually like evolving within the series itself and maybe we're just seeing it in non-sequential order. Something for us to watch and circle back to in season four and to continue this particular discussion. Well, Mal. Yeah. This podcast has different endings depending Mm. on whether you're in one or two player. Boy. I think we're in two. I think we're in two player. I hope we're in two player. (laughs) I think we are. Every episode we're going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most. And this week... We're awarding our champion's purse our extra coins for the Tucker's Arcade to two players. Yorkie and Kelly. Thrilled for you. Young love. Old love. Yeah, not a lot of competition for this, honestly. No. Everyone else is so sad. I love a timeless love story. It's really beautiful. I mean, look, they're in love. Yes. They're embarking on a new, beautiful journey and adventure together. Lovely, coastal Beautiful there. Scenic outpost where they can gaze. Wonderful. Upon the beauty whenever they should so desire. They've got great cars, you know. The cars are great. Wrangler, Miata. They're both rocking around in red vehicles. They're both beautiful. Really stunningly, (laughs) almost disturbingly beautiful. They are so good looking. (laughs) It's really bad. And they get to spend the rest of their lives, the rest of their virtual existences, regarding each other and regarding the other's beauty. It's, again, we'll just hammer this home one more time. Not quite accurate to call it a happy story, but it is hopeful. And the fact that these people have, for however long they should so choose, the pleasure of each other's company. That's right. Those tumbles by the ocean side. It's just lovely. Love transcending death and, in fact, transcending the biological state of being. And they've got Belinda there for the ride. That's wonderful. Soundtrack of our lives and of their love. Jason? Yes. You're just a few ripples of you. Yeah. There's no history of you. Wow, this is tough stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Tough show. Tough series. So, let's find that history. Yes. Let's find the present. Let's do it. It's time to head to the sept to bathe in the light of the seven Love by it. sharing seven of the things other than talking about Black Mirror that we are most excited about this week, most looking forward to this week. And we're still going to do it lightning round style. You go first. What's number one? The NBA is really good right now, and they've got a great crop of under 25 players, young players, Giannis. 
my son, Kristaps Porzingis, <laughs> Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell, who's on a scoring tear, Carl Anthony Towns, who, listen, is having a semi-disappointing year, but is still very good. Wow. There's just a lot of really exciting, really interesting young players who are kind of breaking paradigms. Ben Simmons can't shoot, which is a thing that we didn't think that point guards would be able to overcome, and he is doing it. He gets anywhere he wants on the court. Just a really fun time to watch the NBA, especially for the young guys. Number two, what if instead of watching the NBA, we all thought about baseball? I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. It's baseball season, right? <laughs> the extremely Listen. cold stove is heating up ever so slightly <laughs> because the Otani sweepstakes. Let's go. It is in full swing right now. This guy <laughs> yeah. is simultaneously the best pitcher and maybe That's the right. best hitter on the free agent market. And it. because the MLB CBA is – in this respect, at least in terms of international free agents yeah. who are under 25, absolute bullshit. My man is giving up millions, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars to come over now. That's a lot. Until he's 25. So he's dirt cheap. Yeah. $20 million posting fee to his former <laughs> Japanese baseball team. But he is going to make basically no money, which, again, is a tragedy. I don't want to imply that that's a good thing. But from the perspective of the team that's going to be signing him, it means they're going to get somebody who, if he were in in MLB already right. and was hitting the open market, would probably be netting somewhere between 30 and $40 million Ooh. a year on the open market. They're going to be like $3 million yeah. Price to him. Yeah. Like, wow. Throws 102 miles per hour. Is that fast? It is good. Syndergaard kind of good. Yeah, He can hit the ball 500 feet. I think whether he goes to an NL team where he has the guarantee of hitting on days that he pitches, or whether he goes to an AL team where there's the prospect of a team actually letting him DH on days that he isn't pitching. Extremely exciting to track. He, best of all, has said already that he is not interested in signing with the Yankees, which is incredible, (laughs) and that he's only interested in going to Philadelphia for a visit to see the Rocky statue. That was savage. Incredible. That was an that was an absolute savage comment. Truly incredible. Him. Other than the Rangers and the Cubs, he's just down to West Coast teams. Yeah. He's down to seven total teams. Seems to prefer a small market. Sounds like probably the Mariners <laughs> and the Giants are are in the lead, but like teams like the Dodgers and the Angels and the Padres are the in the Padres, mix. The Padres, I thought that was a mistake when I read it. For a team like the Padres landing him could single-handedly reboot the franchise. It could be that <laughs> big of a deal. So this is really thrilling to track. Can't wait. I'm excited to see where the Marlins trade Stanton, too. That's also right. a very intriguing baseball thing happening right now. But we haven't really seen anything like the Otani sweepstakes. Yeah, as a longtime uh, Yankee fan, as Fame you well Yankee know, fan. It's very tough. <laughs> Number three, Laurel D'Antoni, wife of offensive genius NBA coach Mike D'Antoni, celebrating Houston's uh, Sunday night beatdown of the L.A. Lakers with a heaping plate of chilled vengeance. Back in April 2014, Laurel's husband, famed mustache haver Mike D'Antoni, perhaps the most influential coach of the last 15 years, resigned as head coach of the Lakers. Difficult tenure, lots of injuries. Dwight Howard was on the roster, which is never good. (laughs) Old Kobe Bryant and Mike had his own issues with recovering from a knee surgery. In response to Mike resigning, Lakers legend Magic Johnson tweeted, happy days are here again. Mike D'Antoni resigns as the Lakers coach. I couldn't be happier. After the Rockets won 1895 win, Laurel was asked her thoughts and she said, quote, is it classless to say Happy days are here again. No, it is not, Laurel D'Antoni. Get yourself a partner who rides as hard as Laurel D'Antoni. I like it a lot. I thought you were going to say get yourself a partner who rides as hard as A.I. Ash. Woo! <laughs> 
Who's riding who in that situation? Listen, I, I like to think it was a I flexible he, situation. You just kind of hold on for dear life, don't you? <laughs> Number four from the filth of that sex talk to the purity <laughs> of NCAA athletics. Oh, so pure. So pure. Innocent. So pure. Virginal. The Heisman Trophy ceremony is this weekend. I can't wait. I love the Heisman. There's a lot wrong with college football, but I love college football. I love the Heisman ceremony. Used to be a Heisman voter. Fun fact. Yeah, it's true. No longer, alas. But only three finalists. That's the right. fact that Saquon Barkley, who mm. was on pace for a historic season and was the clear, like, the clear yes. halfway Heisman winner, and that usually like means something and matters more than it did right. this year, didn't even get an invite to New York means he's probably such a distant fourth-place finisher that the top three guys got truly the bulk of the votes, which means we might be seeing a historic first-place finish for, there's no (laughs) mystery here, it's going to be Baker Mayfield because Stanford, proud history of their running backs finishing second in the Heisman voting. So congratulations, Bryce Love, on joining Toby Gerhardt and Christian McCaffrey in that proud fraternity. And look, Lamar Jackson had another great season. The fact that people don't talk about what he was able to accomplish more is kind of tragic, but he's not actually measured against the field. He won last year, and so he is measured against his own past performance. That is literally an impossible standard to meet in Heisman history. Only one person has ever repeated. So he's not going to win. It's Baker. I can't wait to see him plant the Oklahoma flag on the Heisman stage. <laughs> I think his speech has the chance to be incredible as long as he hasn't Iconic. gotten too in his own head right. about potentially getting in trouble and saying something that would lead him to be suspended or for the, the playoff, which would be a tragedy. So pumped for Baker, excited for the speech, fun college football season. Can't wait for the Heisman. And of course, can't wait for Clemson, Alabama 3.0. But we'll get there later. The Clemsoning. Number five, real books. Listen. I recently received my stuff that I had in storage from New York. Much of it was books. I love real books. I I have a Kindle. I have a Kindle, which is important for highlighting the amount of reading that we both do. You know, it's you need that. But there's something about holding a book. Love it. That's all. That's really it. I just love real books. Number six. We have spent today's session discussing a Netflix show that we love. And guess what? Hey. There's another Netflix show that I love. Come in. This weekend, The Crown. Such a soothing show. Season two. What a time to be Amanda Dobbins. <laughs> Just so thrilled for her. Look, love Netflix. Sure. Love England. Great. Love the Royals. Yeah. Prince Harry and Meg. Megs. Meg. What are we going with? Megan Markel Fultz. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. You know, love is in the air. The royals are on our minds. And the fact that the crown is coming back amid this moment of royal intrigue is so perfect. And listen, Milton's here with us as we record. We're going to get to see some corgis. Some of the queen's corgis. Can't wait. Love corgis. Love the crown. And as I I understand it, this season will be primarily driven by Prince Philip getting wet. Love Prince Philip. (laughs) Also, last season with these actors because they're going to, you know, advance the timeline and recast. So we got to we got to cherish our time with uh, the former Doctor Who while we can. Love me some Claire Foy also. Me too. Game of Thrones update number seven. Stephen Delane talking about his role as Stannis, the dour and severe middle Baratheon brother. Is he him? He recently was asked about his performance as Stannis and he spoke in tones that Harkened back to Stannis himself. I flicked the show on since leaving to see if I could figure out what was going on. But I couldn't, he reportedly said. Liam Cunningham, Sir Davos, as we all know, is so passionate about the show. He invests in it in a way I think is quite moving. But it wasn't my experience. I was entirely dependent on Liam to tell me what the scenes were about. (laughs) 
I didn't know what was going on until we'd finished filming and it was too late. The damage had been done. I thought no one would believe in me and I was rather disheartened by the end. I'd felt I'd built a castle on non-existent foundations. Wow. My goodness. That is <laughs> really speaking on behalf of the audience there. <laughs> Good Lord. Where was real life Brienne to slice that speech off midway just, through? She should have just showed up right in the middle and be like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> Truly incredible stuff. Yeah. I do not miss Stannis. I'll say that. I know you don't. Your worst take, Stannis. I know. Stannis being no, well, a character you the, like. I think you're mischaracterizing <laughs> me here. Am I? I'm saying Stannis in the books is a character that I empathize with. Show Stannis is just a, a jerk. I wonder if Stephen Delane will also go to the grave thinking of his brother's peach. <laughs> <laughs> is he a ham? Is he a ham? I miss Renly. I, I do. Guys. Yeah. They say you go crazy if you have too much binge mode. It's true. You don't leave your seat. You disassociate body from mind. Sure. So we're going to wrap there because Greg would want us to. <laughs> we hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited for Black Mirror season four Can't on wait. December 29th as we are. And of course that you're as excited for Binge Mode Harry Potter in dun, spring dun, of dun. 2018. We'll be back with you next week for the third edition of Binge Mode Weekly. And until then, please just remember, now it's us and we're passing through. And before we leave, we'll have a good time. Hey, Mike. First time, long time. This is his dog from Marine. I want to talk about AI Ash today. Yeah, this guy, I don't know what they put in that nutrient gel, but this guy can go all night, Mike. You know, there's a lot of heavy hitters I've seen come through the Bronx, but this guy swings a stick like nothing I've ever seen, Mike, and he can just go, go, go. Yeah, I'll take my, my answer off the air. Thank you.